Welcome to the Positively Alive podcast. I am so glad you made it, and I can't wait to introduce you to our distinguished panel of speakers. This is a space where you will be able to learn more about HIV and AIDS, about the latest medical developments and the tremendous progress that has been made over the last couple of years. We will also elaborate on what it means to live with HIV today and how it is possible to live not only a healthy, but also a happy life. I have carefully selected our interviewees. Over the course of the next weeks and months, you will hear the voices, insights and opinions of policymakers, activists, influencers and some of the world's top medical professionals on the topic of HIV and stigma. There will also be the stories of HIV-positive people and their personal experiences on what living with HIV actually means to them. The main purpose of this podcast is to inform, educate and empower, to get the topic out of the taboo zone, to normalize HIV and to stimulate an open conversation. It is also intended to counter ignorance, prejudice, stigma and discrimination that is all too often affecting the most vulnerable people in our societies. This podcast is also a part of a wider online communication campaign about HIV and stigma. If you want to know more, please join our Facebook group at Positively Alive or visit our website at www.positivelyalive.org. Thank you so much for being here and for tuning in. I really hope you will find our content useful and purposeful. Looking forward to see you inside. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another Positively Alive podcast episode. Thank you once again for being with us. Today, we are talking to Mark van der Merwe, a South African HIV and AIDS activist. Mark started his own individual quest to raise awareness levels around HIV when his brother passed away from an AIDS-related illness back in 1999. It is an unfortunate truth for the continent, but the majority of HIV-infected people reside in Africa. Furthermore, as 54% reside in Eastern and Southern Africa, it raises the question on what is being done about HIV awareness in that part of the world. During Mark's research into what this disease was that had killed his brother, he came to understand that there were still significant barriers in raising awareness about HIV and AIDS. He found that there is still an enormous taboo about discussing sex in the various cultures in Southern Africa that there is also a lack of parent involvement in sexual education in general and an overall lack of sexual awareness in the schooling system. Today, we discuss all of these topics with him. Hi, Mark. Hi, Jonathan. How are you doing today? Absolutely fantastic. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. My pleasure. And thank you also for, uh, for being such an amazing host uh, and letting me stay at your place here in, uh, in South Once Africa. again, my house is your house. Yeah, thank <laughs> you so much. Now, I'd like to start, Mark, with a sensitive topic. You lost your brother of AIDS in, in 1999. Shortly afterwards, you became an activist. Now, could you elaborate a little bit on that story for our audience to understand a little bit more about where you come from and how everything played into the person you've become today? Sure. So I was uh, living in the Middle East. I was based out of Dubai. And at the exact time, uh, which was a Friday, I was in Cairo about to attend a meeting. And I got a telephone call from my father, which obviously you panic and immediately answer. And it was my brother. He couldn't really talk. He, all he was saying on the phone was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And curious, What's happened? What's happened? What, what is what's happened? So he said, I've got HIV. I said, and? He said, well, I'm going to die. 
I must. No, you're not. No, you're not. We'll, we'll sort this out. We'll sort this out. I'll come home and we can sit and we can sort things out. I had to go back to Dubai to pick up passports and move passports around so that my wife then could come down with as well. I arrived here at 6 o'clock on the Tuesday morning following that conversation and he passed away at 5.30 in the morning on that Tuesday. So from the time he disclosed his status to the time he passed away was a matter of days. My God. So, which was obviously a total shock, devastation. Um, more so that I couldn't say goodbye. It's, it's, it's something that... I, 19 years down the line, it still sits with me uh, heavy that I, I never had the opportunity to say goodbye to him. It was, it was almost dismiss- dismissive. I said, don't worry, we'll sort it out kind of thing. And so that, that, that eats at me always. But because of that, I started researching about HIV after the trauma and, and uh, getting the parents, because, you know, parents losing their child. It's the wrong way around. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and my, my parents fell apart completely, and I stayed down here for two to three weeks in Johannesburg, sorted a lot of stuff out. I went back and started researching about HIV. What, what, what is this HIV? And I'd heard about it, but total ignorance, total ignorance. I knew that much, and now I know a hell of a lot more. And I researched it, and... I decided that I'd come back to South Africa and do something about it. I was working for an IT company, Microsoft. Yeah. I'd been working for them for 10 years. I resigned and I came back here and got involved and started up a company on HIV awareness and ICT awareness uh, at the start, but, yeah. uh, and that morphed over time. And what were the first things you've been doing as an activist? When, in, during this research, I found out that even though I'm a well-educated person. I went to the top schools in South Africa. I was very fortunate enough to go to the top schools. So did my brother. And here was a very intelligent young man, got HIV, and it's like, why? To me... How? A lot of people ask yeah, also how. Yeah, how? And to me, it was a matter of ignorance and not understanding and not knowing the realities of the virus. The more I read up about the virus, the more I understood how a lot of people, today even, are still exposed to the virus and they don't know anything about it. They, they're ignorant about it. And that was something that I wanted to change. How well equipped would you say today is the South African society when it comes to uh, the epidemic? So we, there's different education systems in South Africa. There's a private education system, then there's the government education system. And in the government education system, you get an upper level of school called a Model C school. I think from there up through the private schools, pretty well educated um, on that. You have about, I believe it's about a million people leaving school every year. I would say 150 of those, 150,000 of those come through that class of school that are fairly well educated on, on the environment, I wouldn't have much faith in the rest of the education environment. Why not? Because of the lack of, not the lack of the will of the government in providing material, but the teachers don't want to discuss. Teachers don't want to discuss. They don't talk about sex with their own families to talk about it in front of strangers and is, children. Is it because they don't know? Is it because Culturally, it's a, cu- it's a cultural. Also, lack of knowledge. Heterosexual anal sex is not practiced in certain cultures. And they don't understand it, so how can I sit and discuss it? And it's not something I want to discuss with a bunch of kids. So that part of the curriculum or that part of the instruction could be left out completely. And that is one of the big contraction uh, 
areas in South Africa at the moment because of of certain cultures. And so I think the education system is certainly lacking. There's a lot of private education going into corporates, such as companies like ourselves, where we go and teach corporates and, and educate corporates on HV. I, I go into corporates where people come up to me and thank me afterwards and they said, I didn't know. And these are senior managers, senior directors. I have directors that said, I am totally enlightened. I never knew any of this. You've done many things with your organization, right? Yeah. Um, apart from educating the, the corporates. Sure. Can you elaborate a little bit more on all the activities that you've, you've been yeah, so, over so, so we started off with uh, education. We, we Companies started off putting computers in refurbished containers. Uh-huh. And we wanted to teach an IT curriculum, which had 25 modules. Now, we managed to get that training for free so that we could present it for free. And to get the first five modules you had to attend the HIV and AIDS training. It's about three hours of training. Once you've done that training, you obtained the first five modules for free. To get the next five modules, you had to bring a friend to come and do the training. Okay. So we, we kind of made it a permit scheme to get everybody to come and do the training. Unfortunately, that whole conceptual idea of putting computers in containers in, 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 in rural areas uh, is not a very savory area. It's, it's fraught with corruption and bankrupt and, and devious amends and mm-hmm. dealings. So we decided to pull out of that and not be associated with that and then focused on the HIV training where we had CDs made where we could we would give those to all the employees. They could take it home and their, their families could do it. We introduced the deck of playing cards just before the South African the World Cup in 2010. And uh, on those, the... There's messaging on all the cards, and it's quite fascinating. You give these out. Uh, we did a, a thing with Mike. They handed them out at soccer tournaments, under-18 soccer tournament, and everybody was sitting around the side of the field. The soccer games were waiting, and they gave through the cards and reading them. Oh, really? And, and the education that comes along with that. How many people have you been able to touch with, uh, with the series? So, so we've, we've distributed about 500,000 decks of playing cards. We, we're very conservative in how many people we reach. We say that each person, each deck has reached four people, which I know it's more. It's very conservative. I set up this company originally to put the message out there to one million people. That was my goal. Okay. That alone, we estimate two million. I know it's more, but we estimate two million. To date, conservatively, we've introduced condom holders, problem with condoms. They get put in a back pocket or in a wallet. Rub friction, they dry out, and they're useless. This hides the fact that it's a government condom, and the companies can brand it. So we use marketing money and corporate social responsibility money. Very successful. I don't keep a tell of how many of it. I would say five, six hundred thousand there. Once again, we also did information pamphlets where you can put any type of messaging on with condoms in them. That's amazing. So any type of corporate messaging that you want to do and branding. So we do a lot of stuff like this where companies can brand and get the message out there to their staff. We've got CDs where they can do training. Yeah, well, I think we've reached conservatively about 5 million people. Wow. 
Congratulations. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. I'd like to ask something different. It's also something that is on my mind a lot. Uh, I have a big family. I have four sisters and two brothers. Mm-hmm. You had your family. Sure. And when we talk about HIV, the family or the stories of the family members never get really highlighted, mm-hmm. but they go through their own emotions sure. and their own way of dealing with that situation. How was that in your family? And how did you deal with it, your parents? And did you get the chance to really talk that through? Right, so a whole lot of different answers to that and uh, areas come into my mind when I think about it. My father was very Afrikaans. My mother was English, very English. We got brought up in an English family, even though my surname is Fanamova. It was yeah. the typical yeah, Afrikaans course. surname. Mm-hmm. We were very conservative. I never had sex education for my parents. My sex education was on the sports fields at school. It wasn't spoken about. You don't speak about sex. Sex was done behind closed doors in the bedroom and things like that. It's, uh, it wasn't openly discussed or anything like that. So not only sex, but sexuality. My brother was gay. He never discussed that with my parents. Never openly admitted it. He didn't even admit it to me. He didn't openly admit it to me. It was only very later on that we got to speak about it. And he actually came over and he brought his boyfriend over for dinner. And... Great. And it was, he was as shocked as I was. I was shocked that I was acceptance of it because of the homophobic, if there was anything in me. And he was shocked that I was so accepting of it. So it was, it was a great interaction. He never had that conversation or that experience with my father. My father would never learn. I pierced my ear and my father kicked me out of the house and said, don't come back into this house until you remove the pierced ear. It was like that. So, and my mother phoned me a month later and said, well, you haven't been around. And I said, well, your husband won't allow me to come around with a pierced ear, and I'm not taking it out for him. So there was, you know, if he's worried about a pierced ear, you're not going to discuss openly that you're gay, and you're not going to discuss that you're HIV. I don't think my brother wanted to know that he was HIV. Looking at his diary after his death, uh, there was a, a doctor that he had visited about two months prior to his death, and it was the first documentation that we saw of that that particular doctor happened to be involved with HIV and AIDS. So I think that's when he found out, and he chose not to. I don't think there was much antiretrovirals around in those days yet. They were still in the denialism of the Tarbo and Becky environment. So there weren't antiretrovirals, and you, you just didn't uh, have anything to go by. So it was never discussed. It was never brought up. And I wasn't even allowed to discuss it after his death. I went around to my parents' house and I happened to mention one day when yeah, I'm pulled out of AIDS and I got chastised by my parents. They said, don't discuss that, please. And it's like, why not? <laughs> it's like, there we go. And it's, uh, it's fact. And have you given you any real answers to why not discuss it? People don't need to need it. It's like, it's just brush it under the carpet, which is something that I couldn't do. I, I was open about it, and I had to. I had to get open and find out about it, and and find out about this. And it's nothing disgraceful. It didn't change who he was. It didn't change anything about my brother. He happened to contract. He could have contracted cancer and died of cancer. We won't shun somebody because of that, you know, or, or smoking. Yes, maybe we do shun people because of smoking, but you can get cancer and die. And, and of course. so there's something about HIV that people don't understand, and that through the ignorance, it leads to the stigmatization of non-acceptance. Of course, uh, and do you, do you think about, talking about acceptance, that HIV and acceptance go together in South Africa, even today? 
or they don't or they don't go together yes so you don't you don't accept and that's the problem is that if you bring up the fact that you're hiv positive you almost kicked out and i know people that have been kicked out of home they've been i don't want anything to do with you you know you're a disgrace to the family on the other hand i've seen people that have been totally accepted what, what can we do tell us about it how do we learn what do we need to learn and and the whole family gets involved in it those are the happy situations but they're far and few between even today even today i know people are confident with me that i'm not going to share their information so a lot of people have shared their status with me and i know a number of people that are hiv positive that their families don't even know yet Yes, they've moved out of home and they live out of home, but they're positive and they've never told their families. Yeah. We saw that a little bit this morning when we interviewed uh, Justice Cameron Correct. from the Supreme Court. I mean, from when you look at politicians, he's still the only one in South Africa and yes. in Africa, yes. you know, when, when talking and disclosing his status. Sure. So there's still a lot of secrecy and silence in South Africa when we talk about the subject, correct? Because of the fear of being ostracized and, and, and shunned. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the old days with leprosy. Remember they used to send lepers to, off to the island? Today we have medicine. I mean, yes. you can live a normal life. Yes. So it's quite strange. It almost seems a paradox, right? That people but, still... But you and I know that. Yeah. You and I are very well educated on the ways that you can and cannot get HIV. You can hug, you can hold, you can kiss, you can do whatever you want to with an HIV-positive person and you're not going to contract HIV. That message and that belief is not out in the general public. And that's why you don't know. You will find people, even today, educated people that know about HIV that won't hug somebody that's HIV and positive. Unbelievable. Um, it, it is. It's totally. And, and that, yeah. I hear comments. Not everybody knows that my brother, in fact, a very good friend, family friend, when I posted that I was getting involved in, in this project, and then I mentioned it's in memory of Paul, who died of uh, AIDS, and she posted on Facebook, oh my God, I didn't know. And she was a good family friend, so she didn't know that he died of AIDS and, and things like that. So I don't go out there and go, rah, rah, rah. Um, I'm not shy about it, I'm not ashamed about it at all, so I'm openly discuss it. But people will make a comment, not knowing my background and why I did it, and some of the comments that you hear people making about HIV, AIDS, and incorrect things. You do not catch AIDS. You do not die of HIV. It's the other way around. You know, these two. Yeah, yeah. You need to understand the basics at least. Discrimination. They, them. You want to make my blood boil? Those people. Like Those people. Cast, right? Exactly. Those people. You don't talk about anybody like that. You refer to them as a, a category of person. You know, people with HIV. Then talk about people with HIV. They're not ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. So why are you ashamed of it to open and vocalize it? Mm. I think it's cultural. I think it's conservativeness. We just don't talk about sex openly in South Africa. Yeah. If you had any advice for families that have members living amongst them mm. that have HIV, mm. given what you went through with your brother, um, is there any specific advice that you would be able to give them? Love, care, support. Love, care, support. Love, care, support. Understand. Educate yourself what is going on with this, this member of your family. Educate yourself with HIV and AIDS and, and this, this disease that your, your family member's got. Understand it. Show them love. Show them support. Back them up. Somebody says something bad. 
educate them as well. Exactly, and communicate. Communicate. Yeah. Get it out in the open. And then, but always back them up. If they want to be quiet about it, be quiet with them. If they want to be open, be vocal with them. But support them the way that they want to handle it. Because every person with HIV handles it differently. Yeah. Well, you know what I experienced, Mark, in my own situation is that my brothers and sisters... Well, we talked for the first time in 10 years, a month ago, yes. with my mother and my father present. It was an extraordinary moment mm -hmm. to come to grips with the situation. Everybody was talking about their feelings, how they mm -hmm. lived that situation with me being HIV positive. And I kind of under underestimated their feelings and how yeah. they had to kind of keep silent because I wanted to be silent and I did not, not want anybody to talk about the situation. Yeah. And that really struck me because you say, if they want to be silent, treat them also like like silent but now i realize as well that it's better to communicate and to try to at least within the family solve or try to understand each, each other's point of view because it's not easy but it needs to come from you yeah it needs to come from you it can't come from me i'm there to support you if you want to be quiet about it i must support you being quiet about it yeah i understand that i might take an advisory role if i'm talking parent to a child I might take an advisory role now that I understand, but you've got to also understand that when you make an announcement, they are totally ignorant about HIV. So your worst experience with people that are ignorant about HIV, that's what your family is when you make the announcement. So they've never studied it. Exactly. They don't know anything about it, just as much as you don't know And there's a lot of fear involved. Absolutely. What is it? I shun today when I think about what I did at my, when I went to clear out my brother's flat uh -huh. after he had passed away. And I took a plastic bag and I picked up his clothing and I dropped it in the plastic bag to throw it away. But that's what my understanding was at the time. Now, I, like, I'm so embarrassed. I mean, I wouldn't mention to anybody else except yourself yeah. and tell you, but that's the kind of thing that... How is this thing... Is it contagious? I mean, can you get it from touching people? My brother That's... was the same. He told me not so long ago that um, when when I announced the news and I would drink of a certain glass, he would always check if there was no blood and stuff like that. And it's exactly no. the same yes. thing. Yeah. Yes, It's because of not knowing, right? Not Once again, into the that subject. word ignorance. Mm. Ignorance, ignorance. That is my passion, is to change the ignorance level of people. Whether it be youngsters at school, whether it be somebody making... Uh, an inappropriate comment where somebody says, oh, it's a gay disease. Bullshit. It's not a gay disease. Of course not. It's not a poor person's disease. I know some pretty wealthy people that are HIV positive. You know, it's not a skinny person's disease. I know some six foot six, 200 kilo men that are HIV positive. It's not a male thing, it's not a female thing, it's not a white thing, it's not a black thing, it's not an Indian thing, it's not a Roman Catholic thing or a Jewish thing. It, it, there's no religion. The good and bad thing about HIV, it does not discriminate. Exactly. To infect anybody. Yeah. Now, I want to touch upon a uh, topic that Justice Cameron mentioned yes. this morning in the interview. He said about if he had to choose a demographic that he could target with HIV, he was talking about yes. the, the teenagers living in South Africa. Sure. Now, <clears throat> why is the message not getting through, in your opinion, to these teenagers? Certain teenagers it is. As I mentioned earlier on, in certain educational environments, it is getting through to the messages getting through risky behavior, alcohol. They know about it. The youngsters know about HIV. I've got a quote that you've 
you give a sports car as an 18th birthday present to an 18-year-old and tell them not to drive fast, no, ride fast ain't going to happen. And the same thing. Give a condom or don't give condoms or give condoms to, uh, to youth and say, use that before you have sex. And they haven't got a condom. It ain't going to make a difference. They ain't going to make You can't tell them to abstain. The average age of the first sexual encounter for a South African child is 12 years and 6 months. That young, huh? 12 years and 6 months. That's the average age of the first sexual encounter. If you have a child who remained a virgin till the age of 16, that meant three and a half other children had sex at 11 and a half. So bear that in mind. So when we all sit down, my child is fine, my child is not going to go into that. And they're there, they're doing it. They are doing it. But even though the risky behavior seems to uh, continue <coughs> with youngsters, it is quite strange that with, with the information out there, Sure. that people are not more cautious, yes. so to speak. And you gave an interesting analogy before that, uh, before we, we started the interview. I believe it's because HIV is not an instant symptoms or something like that. It doesn't, you know, going to drop dead tomorrow kind of thing. It's like a smoking. You know, smoking is going to give you cancer. I'm a smoker. I still smoke. But if I had a cigarette and I passed out for five minutes, and my next cigarette I had, I passed out for ten and then 15, and then 20. I don't if I'd finished the first pack. It wouldn't happen because it's immediate effect. Mm -hmm. Likewise, if we go back to 2008, there were 2.5 million people died worldwide in 2008. Let's put that into perspective. That is more than two World Trade Centers every single day in Africa. Two World Trade Centers every single day. Well, another perception is... 10 jumbo jets fall out the sky and kill everybody every single day. If that ran for a month, and we had 300 jumbo jets that have fallen out the sky, how reluctant would you be in getting on board an aeroplane to go fly something? You wouldn't get on board. Of course not. And it's because it's an immediate effect. The fact that this is a delayed consequences, that's why I think the, the people participate in risk. And alcohol, drugs, and... It can't happen to me. That is a big one. Can't happen to me. You spoke also to me about the uh, the, the group within society that is most not vulnerable, um, that is most prone to getting contraction of HIV. And you spoke about the white yeah. marriage. So, so it was quite interesting. Yeah, but that's plain with statistics. All right. So let's let's have a look at that. If there are two people that contracted HIV that way, and now they're four, that's a hundred percent increase. If there's a million people contracted this way, and now there's 1.4 million people, that's 400,000. It's a little bit more than the two. So let's bear that in mind as statistics. The biggest increase in HIV in a certain demographic, single black male, married white male, single white female, that type of demographic is a married white male. Biggest increase in HIV. Bottom line, can't happen to me. It ain't going to happen to me. Corporates, corporate affairs, sleeping that goes on in corporate affairs. You spend two, three hours with your wife at home in the evening, you spend eight hours at work with other people. And there's a huge increase in white married men. I'd like to touch upon HIV terminology uh, in South Africa. Now, 
Within the context of stigma, there is certain terminology being used when referring to HIV-positive people, like red card, slow puncture, he's got a boarding pass. Yeah. What is your take on this terminology, and how does it affect the stigma, stigmatization in general? There are some people that would find those derogatory. They, they talk about somebody having a slow puncture. You get HIV, you lose weight initially, and people say, well, the person's got a slow puncture. Partly because of the laws, you're not allowed to talk about HIV status, you're not allowed to share it, so people make up terminology around it. Home infection refers to HIV, home infection. So there's certain parts of it I don't find derogatory, and it's a reference, and it's slang, it's slang talk. I've already mentioned the certain words, they, them, and things like that that I find offensive. It's really the context of how it's used. I can say something to you in a certain context and I can say it again to you in another context and it can be, one can be very hurtful, one can be joyful. So you've got to be very careful. My advice to anybody, stick away from calling people names. We get taught that at school. Don't bully, don't call that person a name. Why are we now all of a sudden calling people? It's because we're too embarrassed to talk about that. It's something we don't know about. So we, we use other terminologies. Yeah, we to Absolutely. Them and, uh... So that, and that is stigma. I mean, you're stigmatizing people with HIV and you, you're outcasting them, you, you're excluding them, you're making them in the category on their own. They're regular people. Mm. And Corsi Johnson, who's a young South African AIDS activist, he was brought up, uh, Corsi's Haven is named after him. Um, he spoke at the World AIDS Day uh, many, many years ago. And he said, we've got hands, we've got feet. We're just like you. That got to me. That's, that's, that's it at all. Well, he's absolutely right. What's different between me? I've got a little virus messing around inside my body. What have you got? So, so you've got Bilharzia? Oh, you also got a virus. Oh, yours doesn't... You don't die from... Oh, you could die from yours, untreated. You'll die of Bilharzia. Malaria. You get my mosquito, you get malaria. You don't treat it, you die. Don't treat HIV, you die. You treat it, you live. What's the difference? Why do we not outcast malaria people? Why do we not outcast cancer people? Why do we not outcast old people? But we pick a certain because we don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And that's to me, is the biggest issue. Well, there's also been a big influence of certain myths and misconceptions sure. about HIV, even at the mm. level of the government, right? What are some of the myths that you know used to reign here in South Africa that have really prevented you know further um... sleep with a virgin? And you'll cure yourself of HIV. I don't even have to go. You go up to presidential category when you talk about that. Where a take a shower and you won't contract HIV. You wash it off. I don't have to mention names of the president that said that. It's well known. There are a lot of different myths of how you can and how you can't catch HIV. There's a lot of discussion about it. There, I mean, should you be saying anything about saliva? Yes or no? 50% of activists say, no, you don't. 50% say, yes, you do. You've got to get that balance and get the understanding. And when you're talking about it, you have to clarify exactly what you mean. and what. So I, I think that's the, the issue is that people haven't talked about it. They haven't got the information. There's conflicting information going around between various people. Government officials do not talk about HIV and AIDS. Maybe a slither of government officials in the health department will talk about it. But that's it. Or the current president stands up with the new flavoured condoms in, in Parliament and says they're now flavoured. And everybody in Parliament laughs. 
This is the highest level of politician. Laugh about the fact that you now got flavored condoms. So what's so great about that? No, there's nothing great you about that. You still cannot put condoms in a school in South Africa. Today. Yeah, you told Where's me. Where's your HIV infections taking place? I forget the figures, 250, 300. Um, I don't quote me on any figures around this one because I really don't know the figures. There are thousands of school-going females falling pregnant. This is not divine intervention. They are having sex, but we still today cannot put condoms in a school. You cannot sell condoms within 500 meters of a school. That's the law. These are the people that are contracting HIV. From 12 and a half, from the time they enter high school, they're starting to have sex. And you are not providing them condoms because you say promote sex. But you'll talk about the Civil War and you'll talk about World War I. They don't go out and start a revolution because they heard about, they learnt about war. So why would they rush out and have sex because they learnt about sex? Trust me, they're already talking about sex. They're talking about sex on the playfields at primary school. So why can't we educate our teenagers? Yeah, if you, if about you sex, the, they, they, the they know. They know about it anyway. They've just got really bad information about it. So give them the proper information and give them open and honest information. And if you can't talk about, because of your culture, you can't talk about the different ways, then get external consultants to come in and talk about it. People that, I'm too old to give a damn about it. I'll come and talk about anything. Tell them the truth. Be open and honest. How do you see this evolve in the future in South Africa? Are you pessimistic? About the education, no. I think we'll still get the naivety that we'll leave it to the teachers. The teachers will continue to not educate about it. You're still going to have, I mean, we've already seen an increase. We had a decrease in, in, uh, with the introduction of antiretrovirals and after the, the Beckin denialism stage and the introduction of antiretrovirals, we saw the, and the, and the mother to child, uh, antiretrovirals. We saw an, a total decrease in, in new infections, and it's on the incline again. It's, as we discussed this morning, yeah. it's, it's a complacency. complacency. You know, we, yeah, we've done everything, and it's worked. Mm. No, you haven't done anything. You've done everything when it's down to zero new infections per year. Then we're, you've we're done... very far from the, that. Absolutely. We're not. Because 50% of the population that's got HIV doesn't even know that they've got HIV because they haven't tested and they are unknowingly spreading HIV. Of course. And that's the problem, is that people don't know that they've got the disease. I'd like to touch upon the organization that we are supporting with this campaign. It's the yeah. Winnie Mabasa Foundation Correct. here in Johannesburg. And yes. I remember when we were at the very early <clears throat> stages of the project that I came to you and I asked you, Mark, do you know reliable yes. organization within South Africa that we could support with with uh, this this project. And you told me the Winnie Mabasa Foundation without yes. us, you know, hands down. Uh, why did you recommend me this organization? So I used to support another organization. I'm not going to mention their name. A couple of dodgy deans there and I stopped supporting that. And I looked around for a new organization to support. And I do my homework to support somebody because... I don't support them with, first of all, I don't support them with money. I support them with goods and services and things like that. But I also want to know that they're well run because in South Africa, you find that up to 60% will be used for administration costs. I'm not going to go and donate money and 60% goes into somebody's pocket before it goes to the cause that I want to support. So I looked at the Winnie Mambaza Foundation. I went down, I visited them. I was flawed. The happiness. So Winnie Mambaza Foundation runs an orphanage. Uh -huh. Illuma Orphanage. I went down to the orphanage. 
I have never seen happier kids. They're happier kids, happier than the ones that have got parents. Because they have got parents. They've got the people that work in that orphanage and, and, and Lisa who runs it is Mama Lisa. And, and these kids have got everything their hearts desire. They've got a home. And it made me felt my mother was brought up in an orphanage, so it, it touched me. I, you know, when, when we were kids, we had a lot of orphans come to us over the weekends. So I, I'd been involved in that environment. So when I saw the happiness of these kids, it was fascinating. That's number one. The second thing that got me, I, I organized a donation from Tupperware, and we took the Tupperware down to them, two, three hundred pieces of Tupperware. They documented every single item and had to sign it in. They've got external auditors. No finance is done here. It's all done externally. So the accountability and the financial control is impeccable. And, and that's, yeah. that is why I, I'm happy to raise my hand and say, it's well run. The kids are happy. The work that they do is phenomenal. And it's financially sound. They do the proper controls and audits. Well, that's I can say that you, you put down 10 rand, it will be spent on the orphanage and not on somebody else. Mm. So that's, that's absolutely and highly recommended. I would recommend them 10 times out of 10. Okay. Last question, Mark. Um, is there a me specific message that you would like to give to our audience, young people specifically, because we talked about them uh, as, as an audience here in South Africa, yeah. uh, when <clears throat> dealing with HIV, how, how would, in your opinion, how would they have to look at this subject to make sure that the future looks you know, starts looking more different than, than it is today. Educate yourself on how you get it. Educate yourself on how you don't get it. Not that I'm saying you don't get this way, so go practice all that. But educate yourself on how you don't get it so that when people say you can get it that way, you can correct them. And when people say you can't get it this way, you can correct them. Be safe out there. Be safe out there. Be accepting of somebody who has HIV. It's, you can't get it from them. Fantastic. You can't get it from them. They, they're regular people. It's like, be happy. Everybody can get along. It's a beautiful message, Mark. Okay. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. So yes, a big thank you, Mark van der Merwe, for coming on this podcast and for sharing your views about HIV and AIDS in South Africa and on the enormous impact the epidemic has had on your country. As someone who has experienced the devastating consequences of this disease firsthand, I have found your views and insights highly relevant and eye-opening. I have no doubt that your brother would have been very proud and amazed when listening to your words. Thank you so much. Thank you also to our listeners for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and that you learned something. If you haven't done so already, please join our Positively Alive Facebook group specifically set up for this global campaign. It is a place where we raise awareness about HIV and educate people to counter prejudice, taboo and stigma. Whether you are HIV positive or not, our growing community is for everyone interested in learning more about the topic and to share positive and uplifting messages. Check also the Positively Alive YouTube channel where we upload a reduced video version of this podcast interview with the most important messages. I would also love it if you review this podcast and share your thoughts across social media. Let people know that you subscribed to the Positively Alive podcast. The more it gets shared, the more people we will reach, and that is ultimately the intention of this podcast. You can tag me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and let me know what you have learned from this. I am so looking forward to share with you our next episode. 
I also take this opportunity to reiterate and underline the importance of your personal financial contributions to this campaign. Never before in history have we been so close to a vaccine for HIV. Strangely enough, however, we see the national and international donor community pulling back, thinking that everything is in the pocket already. It is not yet in the pocket. We cannot afford a funding crisis right now, not when we are this close to ending the epidemic. A society without HIV where our children can be vaccinated against the virus, how cool would that be? And how much money this would save us as a society? So from a place of humility and love, please be generous with your donations. You can find the donation link in the text area of this podcast, on our Facebook page, on all our other social media channels, and on our website, www.positivelyalive.org. I count on you, and so does the world. Thank you so much.